Hello, this is Black Country Blokes chewing the fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk, but in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. I've been here. This is the Black Country Blokes, showing the fact about everything it is, mental health, disability, and life in general. Here with me, Kev Dillon, and my partner in crime, as always, Lee Catlin. Now we're joined by Luke, who's been on the show before, from Walden Well. He come on with Asmark, who's a, an off-branch of the Black Country Women's Aid, so we've asked him to come back on to hear a little bit more of his story. So, Luke, thank you, brother, for coming on. No, no worries. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to come back, to be fair. It was a really good conversation last time. So I'm just, I'm quite excited to be here. And uh, particularly going away, it was nice to see got you folks, what you do and what you talk about. So, no, thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. Well, we're going to start the show as we always do with our gratitude list. I had a great weekend. We, um... When I ate for my wife's birthday, we went to get her golf. I don't know if you've done it. Great place a few but, weeks ago. Yeah, well, we went we went to Digbeth and a um, great bunch of guys and girls. And I was walking down the road and this doorman run over. Kev, 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 bloody hell, sir. And he was a lad I used to teach years and years ago at Savage College. And he was come over, put his arms around me. And it was lovely seeing him. He's all grown up now. But he lost one of his eyes through white collar boxing. You know, he'd, uh, and he had. I hadn't got a treat, but it was nice having a catch up with him. It was great having a catch up, obviously, my wife and my friends. And it was overall a great night. Uh, talking about boxing, we've got um, an ex boxer coming on next week, Kevin McCormack. Kevin McCauley. Yeah. Kevin McCauley. McCauley, yeah. Kevin McCauley. Talking about being a journeyman because, you know, Kev had over 200 bouts and to come away with no brain damage, no eye surgery is remarkable. And people don't often talk about the, uh, the journeyman. They talk about the world titles, but being a German is no laughing matter, is he? No, he's fought some absolute cracking up and comers as well. I was looking through his record. Uh, I think it's two two hundred and fifty boats. Yeah, two hundred and fifty one. I think. Yeah, something, something like that. That's ridiculous. Absolutely mad, but yeah, it's, he's he's fought kind of the best of the best. Yeah, and he was a local lad, so looking forward to that. What are you grateful for? Well, um, on Thursday or Friday last week, we, we received my daughter's uh, new buggy. So I was able to, to go out down Savage Carnival in it with her looking really comfortable. And really, I'm just grateful for the people who um, helped us in the fundraising to get it. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. All the people jumping on board again. And she's got it now. She has, she's I got it. She's on Facebook. Yeah, Nikki probably posted something on Facebook. I obviously don't use it, but um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. We can get her out. We can get her. It's quite fitting, get them outdoor, more outdoors. Um, Can you explain what the buggy's like, though? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's basically, it's a three-wheel buggy and it's just a, a bigger sized. So, obviously, she's eight years old now. Mm. So, really, it's the same as any three-wheel buggy. It's bigger size, massive wheels, massive tyres. They'll last into her adulthood as long as we look after it, which we will. Um, but it does, it means we can go outdoors and you can go uh, off the beaten path a bit more. Um, I don't know whether anyone saw, I can't remember the rugby player's name, but there's a rugby player who's got MS and he got, he did the, well, someone ran with him in one of these buggies doing the London Marathon. And I think that shows how kind of uh, mm. hard wearing and how good That's they right. are. Mm. I can't remember the person's name there, the rugby player but, uh, or ex-rugby player. What are you grateful for, bruv? Um, I mean, 
to be honest, uh, that uh, last week we were told our dog unfortunately got like her tumor in his mouth. Yeah. And it was uh, one of those moments where we had to take him back to the vet this week and he was going to tell us whether it was going to be, mm, you might have to put him down today towards that. Um, but fortunately, we've heard that it's not the case. Yes, he's got a tumor. It's not aggressive. It's not, it's not uh, going to be super quick. So I'm just grateful that we, as a family, have got more time together with, with the dog, really. I mean, we've had him a good 10 years as a rescue. But, yeah, it's, I think, for me, it's, it's an interesting one because I was out with him the other night and I was I just got a bit of water in the eye because I was walking across the field and he's always come out with me on my bushcrafting stuff when I've gone to practice and stuff like that. So he's quite connected with the stuff that I've done and what I do sort of thing. So was, um, I'm grateful that we as a family are going to have more time with him and he's going to be able to share a few more of those journeys with me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm grateful that his life's a bit longer. Animals, do you know, when we have our pets, they really do become part of the family, don't they? Yeah. You know, and they go, oh, it's only a bloody dog. Anything, anybody says that has never had a pet they truly loved because... I love my cat so much. It does make him silly. Silly black, little black cat. Yeah. Really noisy, but she's such a kind, lovely cat. You know, and my uh, mother has just got a dog, a little sausage dog. and yeah. They truly do fill the void with a lot of people, don't they? Especially if yeah. that is the only family you've got as well. Like my, yeah. You know what I mean? If you haven't had children, you haven't got a partner, and just that little bit of company as you walk through the door is phenomenal, isn't it? And I think that's the thing you get um, when you've got them. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Not just the great stuff, they annoy you like family as well. Yeah, They've yeah. got their own little personalities. That, that I used to have a dog out of the staffy. We had to put it down old age, got sick. And um, the one thing that annoyed me about it was one thing I missed first was mm. constant licking sort of thing. She's got that staffy licking thing. And I think that's the thing they, they've got all these sides to their personality. Mm. And then, but they're just there. And I know that, for example, our dog Ted. He's really good with my daughter and, he'll, and he uh, lies on her and strokes him and stuff like that. And that's your standard everyday sort of thing. But for people as well who want connection, pets are really good for that. I mean, dogs in dogs and cats in particular, we've kind of domesticated to us, haven't they? Mm. Um, so I think it's, yeah, I, I don't think you shouldn't doubt the power of a pet and what it means to somebody that they're really important. My friend wouldn't say that to me because... Um... Just treat yourself like your pet. And what, do, what do you mean? Treat myself like my pet? Because, you know, when your cat's a bully, won't you? Because you take it to the vet, don't you? Well, of course. When, when it's hungry, you feed it. Mm. When it needs a bit of love, you give it love. When, when you're hungry, but you go about your meals, or when you're poorly, you don't always go to the doctors. And when was that time you give yourself a bit of affection, a bit of love? Yeah. You're pretty right. I think, yeah, that's, a, that's quite an interesting thing, actually, yeah, because uh, we don't always give ourselves love. I, I worked with, um, years ago, this was, I was doing some counselling in the school and one of the, I think she's only about 15, 15 year old, 16 year old, coming to the end of her school like GCCs, really low on herself. But she was, um, she she worked with horses and she had her own horse. And we used to, sometimes in therapy, they'll say almost like look in front of the mirror, say positive things. So not everyone can look in front of the mirror. It's not, mm. that's not where they're at. But one thing that, she always come across to me with her was that she liked the horse. The horse was really good. She found a lot of comfort in stroking the horse. And he got equestrian, equine therapies. So that's how much a horse can be. And I said to her, it wasn't my idea, it was my supervisor's idea. And he says, well, get her to look in the eye of the horse. What does the horse see? Mm. 
And she went away after that and she come back in the next day. She says, no, I did do that. I looked at the horse and the horse looking at me. And for me, she says it was nice because I felt like the horse liked me for who I am. Mm. There was no question. There was no judgment. Every time I'm, I'm, I'm grooming the horse, I'm riding the horse, it's just a nice... She didn't use the word connection, but I, that's the sense that I'm getting mm. now. But yeah, and that was that was powerful for her coming back and saying, "Yeah, I looked in the eye of the horse and I saw myself through the horse instead, and what I offer." So I think now pets are, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to them, and you notice them when they've gone. Mm. And I was saying to my daughter, you know, our daughter's seven, and she's always been around dogs now, and she's uh, she's she's got over you know, the death of one dog and now she'll be faced with the other. Don't hide it from her. And she, we always say to her, you know, it's about remembering those moments. We we have pets. We have a lot of pets throughout our life. Mm. And, you know, just because you, you get a new one, you don't replace the old one, but you, you will feel those pains and those sorrows. But you feel the pain and sorrow because you've had so much joy mm. and you know what you're losing. You, you can't get that back. So we've got to appreciate it while it's here as well. And that's it. Once again, I'll be saying, grief is the price we pay for loving someone, but it's a price we pay a million times because you should miss someone when they've gone. You should miss that animal. It's only a good holiday if you had to come home. And yeah, it's, it's the yeah. same, you know, yeah. it's the same goodbye to the the holiday to the pet. And you'd be saying because I've loved it, yeah. I've loved this experience, and I don't want it to end. And the thing is, and yeah, and no, I think that's the same. And, and we appreciate things because in some ways I guess because they do end don't they mm. we appreciate that in life things are finite mm. and, and you know if we're very unlucky that catches us off guard sometimes yeah if we're lucky and we're present we're always aware of it so if I go back to like our dog Molly that was my dog that me and my wife first got when we moved in together um, and I remember every night with that dog we really loved Molly and I really loved Ted as well um, I used to go to bed and before I went to bed I'd hug and I'd really but not just hug it was a real feeling you know when you do your family sort mm. of thing because for me you never know when that time is is gone and I remember before my nan died a few years ago I think died in 2018 as morbid as it sounds noting that she's getting older mm. I really each time I hugged her for the last time I made sure it was like I always thought this could be the last time, so I really took a lot from from that hug. And I've tried to kind of take that into life in general now, mm. like with friends, with family, you know, close, distant. Because I think the reality is, is if we're going to be happy, it's better to live in the moment. Mm. It's better to think. I remember reading um, a book, I think it was Tibetan Book of the Dead, and they were talking about, like, in England, like, uh, death, for example, is a taboo subject. Mm. Um, yeah, it shouldn't be. And mm. I, was, I, was told, I was in the office the once, and we were talking about, you know, who would you want? It's grim, this agreement's topic, but oh, who would you want to die first, eh, if you and your partner? I didn't know how it would come up. And I went, oh, I'd, I'd sad want my, I'd this sounds horrible, I said, I'd want my partner to die first. And she went, that sounds, why, that's horrible. I went, because I'd rather deal with the pain of mm. loss. If we're both old and we've reached the end of our life, I'd much rather take on the pain of loss. But and then one of the people said, I just don't talk about this. And it kind of got mm. me thinking that at that point is that we really do shut down when we think about death. Because we don't kind of want to acknowledge it, especially when we're young and mm. life seems so far ahead of us. But you know, I've had to deal to doing the job I do, death comes a lot. 
it comes up a lot. And it needs to be talked about. We had some wonderful people on the show about talking about death, like, you know, with your mom or your dad or your grand or so where do you want do you want to be better or uh, cremated? Or, you know, once the pain gets too bad. Yeah. Do you want to still be in the fight? Some people are fighting to the very death. Some people go, you know what? As soon as the quality of my life's gone, but you need those conversations. And you can't just be well, put a pillar over my head. No. Because no, no. who wants to put their their loved ones in that situation? Yeah. You know, it's, it's breaking the law. And But we need conversations about it. And what you said about um, you'd want her to go first because she hasn't got to suffer. Mm. We had a great guy on. I forgot his name. And it was, um, he was saying, he goes, if a woman, if a man dies first at, at a certain age, mm. the woman often lives for years because she survives for her children and her grandchildren. Yeah. She'll, a man normally dies fairly soon after because he's just a thrown in the towel. Yeah. I, look, I can't live with a heartbreak. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's an interesting one as well, isn't it? So you talk about like the difference between men and women and emotional resilience and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's going to some of the science behind it, but it's my own personal experience and typically uh, women just been a lot better talking about things mm. and being open about things i think men are getting better and i don't mm. think it's necessarily as bad as it was i mean i've got a section of my friends that you know i was one chapter we, when we go it is really deep conversation we're trying to kind of work things out in our heads we've both got kind of our own anxieties so we're very open and it's better and i think to talk about its importance i mean you go back to the death thing is that being outdoors, you see it a lot, though. That's an interesting one. If you're outside, you're going to come across death. As mm. so much as you're going to come across life, you're going to come across death. And I've, I've known on a couple of occasions, but I think it was March this year, we came across a dead magpie. Mm. Now, it's uh, just unfortunate. Well, bloody well, nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, oh, God, yeah. There's, there's, unfortunately, <laughs> they're causing... Not soon, if they keep dying, Kev. <laughs> yeah, well, they keep on dropping out of the sky. But, yeah, but this, it was an interesting one, because the... The, the the kids spend them at party. It was just really sad. And in the end, and it's what I quite like about kind of being a bit more open, a bit more child led, client led, and stuff like that. Is they they wanted to bury the bird, and the whole session, two hours spent on this bird. Okay, so what, how do you think he might have died? Okay, what what could have caused it? Is it natural? Was it an apprentice? It's not like a predator because it's not broken up, so it could be disease because nothing's eating it. Okay, okay, what should we do with the bird? We should bury the bird. Okay, okay, well, let's name it first. So, we're going through a whole process of what happened to this bird. Let's name this bird. So, it's a bird, what's it called? It could have been Bertie Bird, I might, I might be getting that wrong, but and they named the bird. And then we, I dug the hole and we put the bird in it. And then once we buried the bird, we then went back. And I had a load of craft materials and they made like little like flagstones and stuff yeah. like that for the grave to put in this bird. And it was a really kind of powerful one because I know one of the, one of the young people I was working with just was crying after. And it was interesting because it wasn't necessarily about death that he was crying about. He was crying about relationships and the relationships that he's, he'd had and, and lost. The people still alive, but he'd still lost them. Mm. So a lot of talking about the bird, death and loss led to other things as well. Mm. And I think when you, when, particularly when you're outdoors, there's a lot of those kind of death comes around a lot. If you're outside, you can see death. You can step on a snail, it's mm. death. Um, so you are confronted with it, but then you get the opportunity, particularly with the younger ones, to kind of talk about it in a different way. 
Um, it can be quite powerful, to be fair. And it, it, it's so natural, life, birth, death, they all go in hand, don't they? And But it's something like, yeah. don't talk about it because you'll upset them, but they've got to be upset. I'm not saying, like, you haven't got to go into graphic details necessarily, how yeah. people have died or yeah. how they've suffered or how it was. But it's... And I, where religion can take its part, they've gone to heaven. Yeah. What, yeah. Whatever it is, it hasn't got... It can be just that they've gone... We put it to sleep. Mm. It's gone to sleep, and now it's going to heaven, or yeah. whatever your terminology. But it's addressing it. Yeah, and I think it's not. It's not ignoring it. We shouldn't ignore. It. I know, knowing my daughter's growing up, but um, so I used to play Final Fantasy as a kid. I don't know if you ever played Final Fantasy. Yeah. It's a role playing game, and I didn't play it a lot. There's one called Final Fantasy Seven. They talked about death in that they went back to the live stream, and I like the terminology, the live stream. You know, it's a bit more easy to understand so he's say uh, when we found like we'd find a dead bird or a dead bee we'd bury it and you have those questions well where it's gone now i said to my daughter young as she was everyone has different beliefs mm. um but one that i quite like in, in my head is because it, it resonates with you know for energy and we just break down and we go back into the earth mm. so i kind of use that when it's gone back to the live stream it's gone back to the earth and all those particles and that energy is now feeding the rest of the ground i guess it's the forest school worker in me mm. and the counselor in me talk about it in a different way but she kind of got that and at four years old i think she's four about five she was still talking about death quite a lot death become a really big thing for her for a while um and i know that the i think his mind laws were really worried that she was talking about it a lot i said no it's just that's where she's at, at the moment she's very mm. interested she's not quite She's trying to understand the fact that something can be here and then it's not here. Mm. And what we're doing is just letting talk about it. And I think for myself as a parent, this is where I come her, so that's my personal view. As a parent, I think that's quite good. Mm -hmm. I think to have the conversation the best way that you can mm. is quite important because it's, it's like you've said, is that eventually they're going to come across death there is no life without death there's no death without life it's it's and there's no so point in shutting down conversation even if you, even if she's talking about it quite a bit mm. you you shut that down and then it's it's just all internalized anyway and yeah. you, you, you you know i think the problem is with death as well if you had a child that keeps talking about my god he's turning to a serial killer you know which is a factuation with it but it's yeah. not it's no. not the case he's just trying to understand it because it is odd well yeah, yeah. and it's, it's in in when you look at like i know that this isn't kind of my my expertise but i was reading a book called the whole brain child by daniel sagel i think it's a really good book and it's really well written you can get the parent version for it and it tells you about brain development and he, he gives an example in that book where a woman was going to counseling because there was the child had suffered a traumatic event and the traumatic event was they were in a car accident uh, and the nanny was in there and the nanny got really injured and this was like they had the care and not like the nanny, but like the nanny uh, American book and after that the the child and the child was about three so the child had taken everything that happened the child wasn't injured and he was like but the nanny had to be taken to the ambulance and the child kept on saying um I've got the the nanny's name we'll call her nanny uh nanny went in the knee now mommy nanny went in the knee now mommy and m the mom for a while was quite worried like uh, yeah, they upset and i think the psychotherapist or the council or psychologist said no 
they're, they're, they're talking about to understand it. Don't shut it down. Let them do it because what's happening is they're repeating it because it's happened, it's, it's been difficult, and they're processing it, and their brain is processing it. And instead of shutting down, the mum got, yes, yeah. Nanny went in the Nino, yeah. And Nanny went to the hospital, yeah. And Nanny came out to the hospital, and then it almost like complete the story. Mm -hmm. So then, and after a while, the child was fine. Forgot about it, moved on. Probably an adult now and probably doesn't know anything anymore about it. But it was an interesting one where the advice was be there, mm. be present, connect and talk. And I think when, we, when we've got our own children, presence, presence is it's, it's a gift. I think we're too eager to shut down conversation as well. Any conversation really. And, yeah. and there's, there's, no, there's no learning in shutting it down. No, and even difficult conversations. Mm. I think we're very quick to kind of avoid what we see as hard conversations. We don't always want to go to the depth. For, and I think, as we were saying earlier, uh, for some people, it's just they're not in that. They're not in that space. Um, they're not there, and they're not ready to kind of work on the challenges that they've got. And that's okay because you've got to be ready to have those connections. But I think. As we move forward as a society, civilization, I think we've got better in the last few years, 10, 20, about being more open about things that bother us. Hopefully, it will cause less anxiety in people and less kind of like those kind of more destructive behaviours when you do shut down. Because um, conversation's important. But look, with the cancer, because you've said a few times, and only listened to the first time you're on here, mm. how did you get into being a counsellor? All right, so, and I, I think now that is now that I understand it, it was probably kind of an existential dread. So, I left I left high school and I had I didn't do very well. It's the reality, and um, I felt like my options were closed to me. Um, so I, I was I was kind of didn't know where I wanted to be. I had this idea that I was going to go in the army, yeah. and then I started listening to punk music, and that changed my idea of the military. <laughs> But that was my idea up until I was 15, 14, until I got into punk. And then all of a sudden, I had this whole new ideology, which changed everything for me. Um, and my dad, who was in the army, also kind of says, well, maybe do something else. Um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And one of the things I suggest is, well, get a trade. So I became a plumber. I love that fact now because it's a lot easier to change my own tasks than to have something <laughs> else to do it. But not necessarily at a time. And I wasn't happy. I wasn't the best plumber, if I tell you the truth. I'm still not the best plumber. Um, but I can, I can do enough to get by. But I wasn't happy. And, you know, the chaps that I was around, whilst they were very nice chaps, my where I was at 16 was getting worse and worse and worse. I had a lot of anxiety. I was starting to feel depressed. I wasn't happy with where I was in life. Now, that kind of led to very, very small self-harms. I'd be in, a, in the loft and scratching myself with a nail or something like that. And I, I did try to talk to some of the chaps and I said, I just I feel depressed. And the answer that I got back quite a lot was, how can you be depressed? You are 16. Okay. Everyone, everyone has different life experiences and mm. I guess maybe understanding of these things. And back when I was 16, that was what? 2002 2003 so it wasn't mental health wasn't as big as mm. it wasn't as open it is now 
Um, you have them saying, well, have you got a bit depressed today? Yeah. Hey, do you need a little depression? Anything? Well, exactly. And, yeah, you know, I get why they're coming from to a degree. You know, they're, they're grown men, they've got like, children, they've got, uh, they had more going on, like, it's financially than men, stuff like that. But that was kind of the answer they got. Yeah. And then, so over time, you know, I had those moments. You, uh, if you've ever, I wasn't officially diagnosed as depressed. The doctor did try and put me on tablets, but I ignored that. I didn't go for those. But it was, I'd, I'd always say that I remember the days clearly enough because the best part of my day was when I woke up and it had the wave and hit me. Mm. At that point, it's why I was miserable. And so what I did is I decided, to, okay, let's let's regroup, let's rethink what, I, I like being around people. I know that much. So I do want a job maybe where I'm helping people. Um, some I went to a careers advisor that suggested a lot of things, and one of them was like getting into psychology maybe. And the chance meeting with the psychology teacher at Dudley College as he was leaving his office, hmm. he says, well, it doesn't sound like you want to do psychology because what you're saying is that you want to help people. Counseling psychology, two separate sides of the same coin, you might want to go and look at counseling instead. It's about 18 or 19, so this is really young. And I went, okay, fine. I went and found the, um, the counseling tutors. And I managed to get myself on the counselling skills course, which actually Jennifer Lumsden Gordon from Black Country Women's Aid was helping run at the time. Um, and then from there, there was this moment where they had to decide whether or not to let me on the next stage, which would have been the level four diploma, which would qualify, qualify me as a professional counsellor. Now, I wanted to get into counselling because whilst I was a young person, I felt maybe young people had a young person to listen to, mm. that might encourage them to get into counselling more. It was a double-edged sword, and I'll explain that in a minute, but um, a lot of conversations happened, I found it like behind the scenes, as to whether or not to let me on. Then I had to find a counselling uh, placement for me, people would take me on, so I went and worked with a young persons organisation, based 25 in Wolverhampton, who I actually currently work for four days a week now. Um, and I, so I started doing my counselling, I managed to get through to that. I look back now and I think what I was probably experiencing when I was 16 was existential crisis and existential dread. Have you ever heard of? We all get it. It's just basically when you, you kind of find you don't have meaning. Mm. Um, so I, I managed to find meaning through, um, you know, through being uh, helping other people and doing the counselling. It turned out I really like youth work. So I went to youth work and then I blend counselling and youth work together now. But that's what kind of got me into it, my own. And a lot of people have this, you know, the, the wounded healer. Mm. Um, now, I don't think that's always the best thing. But I will say that because if you've not dealt with your own stuff, you, you do run the risk of putting that onto other people if you're not aware of it. But that's why when you do your counselling course, you have clinical supervision, you have your own therapies and stuff like that. And that's, that's what kind of led me into counselling and then working with young people was just a series of chance meetings wanting to help other people and wanting to go in a different direction in my life and if we had like most journeys are built on chance meetings either for good or for bad yeah you know that you know you get there and you have a row yeah you hit someone you go to prison or you don't hit him and you become but you know it's all them little if i don't have five minutes earlier i'd have had a car crash yeah, yeah. You know, or in its same chant, or you know, meet, meeting that teacher. I don't think this is for you, champ, but try this. Yeah. And your life just goes, wow, in either, in either which way, catastrophe or success. 
yeah. or sometimes you need a bit of both to get to the same place yeah and the journey there's enough so for myself i've never i've not had a normal journey i've not done the whole go to high school you know go to college go to university i've done all that i've done those but i've done it in a very different route i mean even my qualifications most people become a youth worker and then a counselor later yeah. i've done that the opposite way around but it's worked out really well the chance meetings and the and the reason i got into doing the outdoor stuff was again chance meeting so i was i was starting to take my clients outside anyway i was getting fed up of sitting in a room and 16 year old i was working with 11 to well actually i was working from seven year olds to 18 year olds so i was uh, doing a lot of work outside with the kids i was working with and uh one of the lads said to me oh look, let's go to my forest school today I was in the primary school i was doing some bereavement counseling oh okay didn't know what a forest school was I said, all right show him where it was show him where it is lad and uh we walked around i saw this campfire and i was like what's that he went oh that's our campfire you can you can like campfires what are you talking about schools <laughs> changed and it went yeah. <laughs> i was allowed to like fires as a kid that was probably sensible to be fair but i was like um I was like, okay he says yeah we do campfires and we get to whittle we get to use like and we do marshmallows and we play games I was like, oh, this is really interesting man. um and i've been working at school for a while so i knew the outdoor leader and i said to the outdoor leader i says what what's that that you do over there well, that's for a school and after that he uh i said i'm really getting into my whittling stuff and weirdly enough at that point i was getting into like small bushcrafting stuff and he gave me a mora knife and he went oh, i have this as well i passed it on to a mate since but he told me about it and i was like that's the next thing i'm gonna do i want to do that and when chance happened um i got offered a job at another school and i got myself on a fire school qualification and because of that chance meeting I did, and the chance just to work in the school, I got to do the forest school, and then I started bringing in more nature-based therapies because I've got these fire lighting skills, these this knowledge of the outdoors more, and then I built more on that just through doing the bushcraft. And it was it is all chance meetings, nothing was straightforward. But on that, but Eric takes you there, and as you say, because I've got the counselling, I've got this thing now, and you're saying off camera about the beauty of just sitting around a fire yeah so i think the thing is when so going more to like your nature-based therapies the fire is great and there's a couple of reasons why fire is great one show me anyone that doesn't like sitting around the fire mm. and there's very few people unless you've got like serious asthma or something like that. most mm. people actually quite enjoy sitting around the fire even if it's the fire and you, you normally go to a gas fire yeah, yeah and you just yeah. watch the flickering of the flames oh, it's hypnosis yeah, yeah. isn't it it is yeah and i think the very fact that you can't feed in the forest so you're nurturing mm. the fire so what you'll find is whether it's in groups or one-to-one -one, mm. the fire becomes your central point mm. that's your central focus if you want to get people around to talk to people then you'll call them back around and you'll all sit around the fire and everyone or most people will be drawn mm. towards looking at the fire and if they're not drawn looking at it, they'll want to be feeding it and things mm. like that and i think at that point it kind of brings kind of like your cortisols down your adrenaline levels down and it just relaxes you if it's in the autumn and winter even better because it'll warm you up as well it'll give you that really nice kind of endorphin which that really happy feeling and so you can be sitting around this fire just looking at it and then the conversation happens it can be anything anything can start but most often you might say oh how, how are people feeling at the moment oh i'm really calm i'm really relaxed here and uh, when i work with the adults a lot of them say it kind of reminds me of my childhood mm. when i went camping and things like that um 
for some it's it's more like oh, it's film it feels nice to be outside it feels nice to be around a fire and for the younger people that i work with it's that sense of adventure it's that we've done this together excitement. yeah excitement yeah. we're out there but when you're around it you just the conversations can really develop quite naturally and that for me fire can represent a lot of different things it can be really good for example as symbolic so I was working with um, a young lad not long ago, and we were working on anger. I'm kind of trying to explain that actually anger is not a bad thing. It's not wrong to be angry. It's okay to be angry. The problem is, is when anger gets out of control. So we've been working together for a few weeks, and every start of every session, he lights the fire, and he puts the kettle on, ready to go for the session. And I said, let's take, for example, this fire. As it stands, is it doing what we need it to? Yeah, what's it doing? Spoiling our water pot chocolate. It's great, isn't it? Great fire, perfect. What happens if it got big and then bigger and then started to spread to places we didn't want it to go? He says, well, it, 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 it would damage things, wouldn't it? And I says, well, what would it damage? He said, well, it damage this tree, yeah. What else might it damage? What lives in the tree? it could hurt the birds yeah things on the ground foxes so we go through all these things damage then so fire is kind of like anger and fire are quite similar when your anger is controlled and it's focused you can do things with it um we use the example this is using this like martin luther king was angry but maintained his composure and he focused that anger to spread his message um when a fire is out of control however we have forest fires. Well, that doesn't just hurt you. That hurts everyone around you. So when your fire is out of control, who's getting hurt? And a lot of people say, well, a lot of children say, my family, my friends. And it's because it's out of control. And I want you to imagine when you're angry in your body, the more you feed that fire, the bigger it's going to get. I want you to imagine maybe taking some sticks off it. Imagine it shrinking down to something that you can manage and you can control. So for me, that's one of the beauties of fire, mm -hmm. symbolism, stories, comfort. It's primal. It brings us together. Almost opens conversation for us. Uh, and, and in that instance, people understand the danger of it as well, don't they? Mm. Yeah, in that instance. Yeah. So, you, see, you know, you, you could tell a five-year-old the same kind of story and they'd understand that, actually, mm. if this fire gets out of control, it's going to, yeah. you know, do this and that. It's, and that's the thing sometimes especially when we work with younger kids they're not at the stage of their development where they could possibly easy, easily understand anger in that way we can sit down in this room and we can talk about anger because we've had the life experiences where we can reflect on and draw on to know when anger's got out of control and the impact it's had we've got the emotional intelligence to reflect and to understand that for young people they're probably not quite there, especially other young people who maybe haven't had the nurturing. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about young people who have had a lot of, who have been lucky enough to have a good upbringing, a secure base. You know, they're happy, they're secure, they're well fed, all of that. They're, they're in thrive mode rather than survive mode. But it, and they will not always understand how to manage anger. Take a young person who's in trauma who is in survival mode, 
and hasn't got that emotional intelligence, well, then that's going to be hard for them as well. So using things like foreign symbols is really beneficial to getting them to understand kind of that psychoeducation, really, which is what we call in, there's a psychologist called Gibson who called like there's affordances in any environment. And affordances are something that help us kind of uh, make sense and understand the world. You can do that. So for your boxing gym, for example, you'll have a lot of affordances down there. Um, for myself, an affordance can be fire. It can be a tree. It can be a rock. It can be the coal that we can use to draw. An affordance is something that allows people, um, it's something that you can use to help you gain more of an understanding of what it is. I think, um, I think about my own son and, and when he was growing up, he, he could get quite angry. He just didn't, didn't know what to do with his emotions, I think the thing it was. Mm. And I went through a stage, well, to begin with, you know, newish parent, my, my, my eldest was good as gold and my son comes along with all this anger and all this. I don't know where, I don't even know where it come from. We just couldn't really express it. But I used to fight fire with fire as well. Yeah, yeah. And you soon realise, well, actually, you're just, you're adding fuel. You're adding fuel to it. And sometimes yeah. you've got to stop and go, actually, what, you know, this isn't working. What do we do to change? I think a lot of parents are like that. You know, it's kind of, because you are learning it as you go along. Yeah, I definitely think I had fuel to his fire at some point. You don't put fire out with fire, do you? No, you don't. I think as well, I mean, I look back on my parenting and I, I even with the kind of knowledge that I've got, and it, it does help at times, but I'm still human first before I'm mm. professional. I think when you're a parent, you see things through your parents' eyes as well. So there's a lot of emotion invested in our children. We love them, we care for them, we want the best for them. And that can sometimes blindside us. But one of the, one of the things that I learned is about six, six, seven years ago, something called emotion coaching. Never heard of that. Mm. That's a really good one, that is. And I like it because it's just easy to understand. It just clears the decks of all the jargon. And emotion coaching, essentially, is you helping your children to understand what's going on and their emotions. But what they say first, you know, you're talking about the fire, fire. They say, imagine, again, it's quite grim, but you're going down in the airplane. The masks drop on. They always say, put your mask on before you put the child's mask on. Because if you don't, then you could end up passing out and you both end up passing out. It's the same with emotion coaching. They always say, if you want to regulate... So you've got here your child, let's say, I'm going to use my hands, they're in a state of dysregulation, yeah? If you come along and you're dysregulated, you're mm. both like that, and you're going to be grappling. But if you come in, they're in a state of dysregulation, you're in a state of regulation, you can get them to calm down, mm. then you can begin to co-regulate. But what happens when a lot of people don't kind of, if, if you haven't got, you know, if you've not been exposed to this sort of um, kind of theories, is you imagine the brain. Uh, it's another Dan Saiga one. It's really good for the parents, but you've got your brain here. This is a thing that connects to your spine and stuff like that. You've got um, you've got kind of your what they call your lizard brain, your mammalian brain, all the things that help you breathe and live through life, the basics. And then we've got this prefrontal cortex here, which makes us human. But over time, under stress, and with enough adrenaline, you imagine this is a bit like a pin. Eventually, when they say they call you flip your lid, mm -hmm. all that thought process goes out. Rationality, calm. And what happens is when people are angry with that, lid flips and they're just in anger zone. 
and one of the kind of things with most cars is let them come down let them calm down and relax before you try to change the situation and i'll give you again i can give you another example i was working with a lad he'd been going through a lot of stuff this lad had and um I walked into the primary school one day and the receptionist is signing me in Norson above me. Luke, Luke, quick, come up here. He's really angry. He's throwing everything. Um, I walk up the stairs. There's five adults outside this room and this lad is in the room and he's throwing chair after chair. I walked into the room. I sat down out the way. I gave him two, maybe a minute. He looked at me and I went, we're calm now. And he went, yeah. I went, Shall we put the chairs back? Yeah, put the chairs back. Okay. What happened? Then it transpired someone had said something to me mm. that really upset him. Um, he comes back into the room, everyone comes around the table, and it's just little laddies just holding a pen, he's just messing, drawing. One of the staff turned around and said, Are you not listening to me? He goes up again. Mm. So calming down again. And then later, um, they the, the, the said, oh, what happened now? I says, we didn't need to acknowledge that. He was mm. messing with a pen. It was irrelevant. Mm. He was stressed. Mm. We're doing a meeting about him and his life. We can let him have the pen for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think what I was trying to explain to him at the time is that it's, it's not it's, his behaviour is the result of what he's going through. Mm not because everything's hunky-dory in his life and we need to acknowledge that mm. and work with that and let him with a pen it's not, not the end all to do all is it you're thinking you just throw chairs around the room so, <laughs> so it's like fire lighter you yeah. know an inferno or someone you're thinking yeah if that little bit of play mm. uh mind distraction focusing on twiddling a pen or a penny for your finger is it the end of the world? And I think we've all seen that. Like sometimes every over it, and anyone, I mean, anyone who had a child through lockdown, we weren't always the best parent. No. We, had, we had glimmers of being a great parent. Yeah. The longer it went on, and sometimes because your emotional book, it was so full, one extra drop, <laughs> and you wouldn't be. But on those days where you could go, baby, we're both stressed. That is a bit stressed. You're a bit stressed. And I have a cuddle. The fire went down a lot quicker, didn't he? Yeah. But when you're yeah. blurting it, for God's sake, put your toys away. Ah! <laughs> you're all just shouting and crying. But then it's acknowledging it and going, Daddy had a wobble, or Mommy had a wobble, or yeah. Nanny had a wobble. Address it. No one's perfect. Yeah. Then we're on a journey together, aren't we? You're teaching. It's, you're teaching. Yeah, it's um, not it's even Daddy's pedagogy. perfect. No, it's not. And, and I think that's the thing. I think, and also when you're when you're acknowledging that with your child they can feel a bit happier in the fact that you've acknowledged that mm. your reaction and you're you're teaching that then because that's going to be a lesson for them that you know they're going to make mistakes they're not mm. but they've got to own up to it they've got to they've got and to they, accept that we, it, we we're family here we don't yeah. lie to each other and if one of us has made the other one sad let's say sorry let's acknowledge that we've hurt the other person's feet and isn't that a wonderful yet lost art in their day i've dropped i've dropped a clanger yeah i'm sorry it won't happen again and if it does happen again it's my fault yeah we've lost that haven't we yeah i think the thing is is there's uh there's sometimes there's this idea that you shouldn't 
this, this, this I, th I think maybe it comes from maybe our parents' generation survived that we shouldn't acknowledge fault. But the, the issue with that is, if, and this is what where, where I come from when I look at my parents, my dad was quite good at that actually, he's quite good, you know, he, he could flip his lid, um, he worked in a stressful job and stuff like that, but he was very good at acknowledging mm. when he'd done something wrong. And I know people who have parents who who never acknowledge when they've done something wrong and the impact they can have. And that can impact your your, your relationship with your child. Mm. Because if you're not willing to share with them that you've done wrong, you're, you're missing moments of connection as well. I mean, we all hope that we'd be the best parents, but that's not the case. It's not going to happen. And I think one of the one of the things that I heard that most parents, not every parent, even if you're very worse, you'll be good enough. I, I would mm. kind of change that. I would change if you're a present parent and you 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 care about your kids and you give them that sound that solid foundation that secure foundation that good attachment then then at your very worst you'll be good enough mm. because that that's the key key to parenting that secure base and we talk about that attachment theory and um to make it more simple the secure basis imagine you have you have a child and they're sitting on a three-legged wobbly rickety chair surrounded by sharp objects mm. and you say to that child i want you to learn this mathematical equation mm. they are never going to do it because they're going to be so focused on falling over and getting hurt mm. but that's not going to happen give them a secure base a four-legged well-structured comfortable wooden chair and then say, learn this mathematical equation. Of course, they're going to be like, oh, okay, it's, mm. because it's a secure base. And secure bases are one of the keys to good parenting. When a child knows that their base is secure and they can come to their parents and they can trust their parents, then their options to explore the wider world safely is also there. And, and I, I think it's interesting because we, we learn so much at school that's not relevant in real life. We don't learn about parenting, yet most of us will be parents. Mm. You know, if we're lucky. Yeah, well, we should, in a good environment, learn that from home. But if we yeah. haven't got that, from, it's hard to teach something that you know nothing about. Yeah, it's, it, it is. And I think my experience of being a parent it's it's all it's all learning it now it's mm. learning that in that moment sort of thing because, you know, on the job well, yeah even if you've got loads of background in it if you've got knowledge in it mm. it doesn't always translate that that book knowledge every doesn't always child's translate. different so it's yeah. how do you kind of teach it and you're different so, to every child well, exactly i've got three and they're all they're all totally different you know there's not but as you have a child and we've had to adapt to them in, a, in the way we teach them. Yeah, and as you have a child, you're slightly different yourself. You're a little oh, bit God, older, yeah, a little bit wiser, a little bit mm. better off, worse off. And, you know, and so that not only every child is different, we're a bit different to that child. And so you should be. That's, and you should do. Yeah. yeah. And that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Is that, you know, I, I remember um, when uh, my, my child was just born, I was talking, I was in a band, um, it was really, and I was one of the lads there also had um no she was before she was born my wife is heavily pregnant but the one chap had had a recent newborn and he says oh, i said you got any advice and he went i'm not saying this is not the right to do it but he says i oh, don't don't read too much into the books and don't read too much into it. this stage i should be here and he gave me a really kind of good example is uh one of his friends um her, his partner was reading all the books and was saying that at this stage 
that should be able to do this and it mm. was something about hearing and their daughter just was never responding to her she was every time so the chap got home and she was in absolute floods of tears um inconsolable saying she's deaf i know she's deaf because she's not been responding to me all day obviously very concerned mother so the chap um he goes into the kitchen to get a glass of water and he's shaking drops the glass it smashes baby looks up the baby just wasn't responding yeah. to the cues for whatever reason but and the books can be really good but at the same time it's it's, it's like everything isn't it you can have too much of a good thing and um it, instead of just being there and connected and going with that flow sometimes i think we hang ourselves up on to be a good parent, I must meet this it's, criteria and this criteria. It's almost, it's, there's no manual for life, so how yeah. can you have a manual for a baby, you know, there's no... Uh, no, and, it, and it's, yeah, and I think that's it, and I think one of the things that, for me, trying to be a good dad, mm. I always think about kind of the good stuff that my own parents showed me. What what was what were they good at? How 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 was they? How what did I enjoy from that parenting? Trying to pass that on, sort of thing. And then looking at what didn't I like, what mm. wasn't so great, because there's going to be stuff that I'm not good at as well. Um, there's stuff that they weren't good at. Okay, so how do I change that? And I think that's that's the best thing we can do is take the best of what we learned and improve on the stuff. Well, maybe we would have liked more of this or more of that sort of thing. But no parents perfect, and for and for me, I I what I will say, and I, talking about lockdown, um, I spent a lot of time walking with my daughter. We did a lot of walks together, and I found that walking together was a really good way of getting to know more. Was doing like kind of their outdoor learning stuff like that anyway. But I find walking with your your child is really good. Um, we did Snowden last summer, just me and her. Uh, she was seven and a half, and yeah, Snowden's a really long climb for anyone. Uh, it's a very long climb if you if you got a seven year old with you nice as well. Nice and steep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did the peak track as well. So yeah. yeah, we did the shortest but hardest track. But it was a great day because a lot of the stuff that we were doing, we were talking. Because mm. guess what? There's no signal there, so no phones, no distraction, mm. nothing like that. So we spent the whole day talking. She was telling me about school, who she liked, who she didn't like. Um, and there was that just like nice connection. And we did, because we did this together, we've got that nice memory together of getting up to the top of Snowden, how hard it was. Um, and for herself, she had to kind of learn that resiliency um, that it wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be a walk in the park because we were climbing the mountain sort of thing. So together, doing that sort of stuff was really good. And... I always try to go back to for fatherhood is is having that time together and again because my job we've just spent a lot of time outdoors we spent a lot of time camping um i brought her first knife when she was three so she spent a lot of time whittling she's got her own fire kit so a lot of the stuff that i do in my professional life i do my personal life as well because that's how much i believe in it i believe it, it it works so i do it for just as much for my my child as i do for other people's you're just saying about doing a walk you're doing another walk for charity aren't you do you want to yeah. take who it's for and where it is and how people can donate yeah so we're doing a, i'm doing the welsh three peaks um this weekend for the haven charity in wolverhampton the haven charity is a charity that supports uh, children and women fleeing domestic um, abuse they have some wonderful services they have uh, they have children's services they have adult advice services um and they've been going for 50 years this year's their 50th anniversary 
I'm climbing the Welsh Street Peaks in 24 hours. So that's Penny Fan, um, Kadir Idris and Snowden um, for them. And if they want to donate, if you find my Facebook page, uh, my Instagram pages, um, there's going to be links on that. I'm going to put another one up shortly to donate for that. But that's a really good, a really good cause. Um, How can they find you on social media? So if you go on social media, if you... If you just click uh, Google Wild and Well Outdoors or go on Instagram, put Wild, letter N, Well Outdoors, you'll see um, a symbol, um, which is this symbol, which has fire, um, two axes on the side of it, uh, trees and a heart. You'll find that symbol and that's the best way to get to me sort of thing and what I do anyway. Um, but yeah, it's uh, this weekend, that is. Brilliant, we're good looking for it. Well, really enjoyed tonight, Luke. No, thank you. Is there anything else you want to say before? Um, I think for myself, it's like I say, um, for myself, is if you're going to um, find joy in the outdoors, it doesn't need to be in mountain ranges. It doesn't need to be um, going on a plane, going abroad. I do a lot of what I do um, through micro-adventure approaches, which means that if you're in, obviously, Black Country lads, uh, Bill Tears, Black Country, you can find green spaces mm. and transform that into a sense of adventure, uh, which will allow you connection with the natural world and with others as well. So I'd say don't don't fall into the trap of thinking um, wild adventure means going to massive wilderness places. It can be any green space, and I'd encourage people to get out and do it. We did say off camera, and if you are going to go up Snowden, if you are going to be safe. Mm. Make sure you, d you don't be necessarily prepared, like be thing, prepared. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Don't just go in your flip-flops and shorts with no water, yeah. with no phone. Let people know where you're going because accidents can happen. So make sure that you're safe and people know where you are. And also, what one of the things I always say is if you ever go into these places for the first time, go find someone who's done it before. It Honestly, it does make the experience a lot better. I've got a friend who's done so many mountains in the UK that we've done mountains where he's not doing we've done it together but if you go in especially to places like Snowden doing that if you go with somebody does who's done it before it does make the, the first time a lot better because they know the paths as well well Luke have you got any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through life yeah do you know what and um, kind of uh, for myself if I go back to kind of like um, the outdoors and stuff like that, I, I don't know if it's Ben Fogel, but I think it was him who said it. I think I heard it off him. Is it's hard to love something that you can't name. So if you want to get um, connected to things, learn more about them. Well, guys, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Luke, for coming on. Thank you. So until we all see each other next time, I want you all to take care of yourselves and each other. Tarara bit. <laughs> Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta a bit. Listen, listen, listen.